Well, this is Memorial Day, and the day, the day we honor our veterans and, and those that have given us the freedoms that we have and that we enjoy in our country, and how thankful we are for every one of those that have, that have served. And we do know that they are great examples for us, and uh, it has cost them a lot, and it has cost their families a lot, and so we want to thank you for that. It's, uh, freedom is a heavy cost, isn't it? Freedom is not free. And this morning I want to talk about spiritual freedoms, as was on Jill's heart. Spiritual freedoms. And what it means for us today to be Christians as we enjoy and as we experience the freedom that we have in Christ. What is true freedom in Christ? What is true freedom in Christ? Are we really free? What does it really cost to have freedom in Christ? These are some things I want to talk about this morning. But like the freedom in our country, freedom in our spirit comes with a cost. Freedom is not free spiritually no more than it is physically and, and corporately in our, in our community or in our country. And when we think it's free, when we think freedom comes at no cost, is when we really don't appreciate what freedom is. Whenever we get something that doesn't cost us anything, we typically take it for granted. We typically don't appreciate its value. And so when things cost us something, when there's, when there's an effort required to gain something, we typically are more appreciative of that. And I'm sure that the men and the women that have served our country over the years in various conflicts around the world, they probably appreciate freedom more than we do that haven't served. Amen? They probably, when they get back here, can understand what it is to get up in the morning when they want to get up. <laughs> and not have to get up at the, at the crack of dawn, or, or worse yet, get up at the crack of a bullet flying over their head. They probably really appreciate that freedom a little bit more than us that didn't experience that. And spiritually, you know, so many times the same way. If we appreciate, or if we approach our salvation with a sense of entitlement, with the sense of it didn't cost Jesus anything, it doesn't cost me anything, then we can come into our Christian walk very flippantly and very arrogantly and very much like I, I'm owed this or I deserve this. But when we can appreciate what it was, the cost, the significant cost that Jesus paid on the cross for us, and more importantly, the significant cost that cost heaven, when Jesus left heaven to come down to be a man on earth, it cost heaven significantly. It cost heaven a, a, a lot of stress and strife. There was a lot of turmoil in heaven, I believe, when Jesus was on earth because he wasn't in his rightful place at heaven any longer. He was down taking a place where his creation was. But even in the midst of all that, God never lost control. And he never will lose control. But there is a cost associated with that. The victory that Jesus gave us on the cross where he defeated Satan, once and for all, when he cried out, it is finished, it was, it's a significant victory. But what's so important about that, though, is that that doesn't mean the battle's over for you and I. Yes, the battle was won corporately. The battle was won. Satan was defeated. But yet we personally 
have a choice that we have to bear our cross. We have to then take up our choices. We have to pick up our form of our battle spiritually, personally for us, individually, so that we know that the battle isn't won for no benefit. If I don't apply God's grace and if I don't then take and appreciate that freedom that Christ gained for me, then there really isn't a benefit for me in that. And that's so important that we pick that up and that we understand that personally. That we know that, that even though Satan's fate is sealed, we still have an understanding of our responsibility and our battle. And understand that, that the enemy, he may know that he's ultimately defeated, but he's still battling us. He is still our adversary. He's still your adversary. He's still the adversary of this church and, and the church in general, the global church, the church that Christ is coming back for. The enemy is still actively seeking to win a battle that he's already lost. He's actively seeking to take as many with him for eternal destruction. So yes, even, the, even so the battle is, is won for us, we have to understand that our freedom is not free. We're, we're, we still have a responsibility and we still have an effort. And as, and as we said, that, that, that freedom is not free for our country. Freedom is not free spiritually. It always comes with a cost. It always comes with a choice. It always comes with a conscious decision. Do I remain free? Because I can give up my freedoms. You know, there's, a, there's many political activities and agendas throughout this country. And I, I just saw one just a while ago in California that they actually, there was a party that wants to take us back to communism. There's a party, there's a movement by some that wants to go back under that communist regime where they want to give up the freedoms. And you know, we can do that too, spiritually. If we're not careful, we can give up our spiritual freedom. Just because we have it today doesn't mean that I'm going to have it tomorrow unless I consciously choose to continue to apply that freedom in my life. And it's not difficult, but it's just necessary that we, we choose that, isn't it? It's necessary that we choose to live in the freedom that we have. So I want to talk about three major points here this morning about freedom. I want to talk about that we have to give freedom to gain freedom. We have to choose to walk in freedom once it's offered. But then freedom comes with great responsibility. Those are the three points I want to talk about this morning. Number one, we have to give freedom to gain freedom. Now, what does that mean? It means that I have to give of myself if I'm going to accept the freedom that Christ has given to me. I must give Jesus the freedom to live and work in my life. I must surrender myself to him. I must freely give up the control of my life if I'm going to live in his freedom. I can't be the boss of my life if I'm going to live in Christ's freedom. I must surrender myself. Life is made up of choices, many choices we have every day. And it is a choice that God gave me to give him the right to have access to my life. If I give him the right, I have the authority, I have the power to deny that if I choose to. So if I'm going to 
uh, have Christ's freedom in my life, I must give up my freedom to control my life. I must give him the dominant position. And it may require a sacrifice of my life in, to do that. In fact, I will tell you right now, it will require a sacrifice. It's not it may. It will require a sacrifice for you and me personally in our lives to have the freedom of Christ. So we have to give freedom to, to gain freedom. It's a freedom that I must grant to Christ to give him the authority to work in my life. I must ask him to be a part of my life. Like we, like we have prayer time on, the, on Sunday mornings quite often. Almost every morning, Sunday mornings, we have prayer time. We do that for a reason. We do that not because we don't think God knows our needs, because he does know our needs. He knows them before we ask. But he doesn't do things for us until we ask. Just because he knows our need doesn't mean he's going to act on our need. He knows all the conflicts of the world. That doesn't mean he acts on the conflicts of the world. He acts on those that love him, that love that, those that obey him. If you read the word, you see that it's very conditional. God's blessings are very conditional. His love is not conditional. He loves everyone all the same. He loves us all the same. However, his blessings, though, are, though for, are for his children. And his children are those that willfully surrender their life to him and that love him, that obey him. We read last week that if you love me, the word says, you obey me. That's what we talked about last week. God's love for us is unconditional. God's blessings for us are conditional. And we need to then understand that as I surrender my will to God and as I choose to give him the I am of who I am. You know, I love that. When, when Moses was at the burning bush and, and the, burning, the bush was burning and, and Moses said, well, who am I going to tell the people that sent me? The voice came from the burning bush. Just tell them the I am. The I am. You know, and that is significant to me personally and to you it should be as well because we're created in the image of God. And now when I surrender myself to God, I pray, my personal prayer is the I am of Mike surrenders to you. Because I am in control of my choices. So as God said, the I am is going to surrender or is going to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. I have to say the I am of Mike is surrendering to you, Father. The I am. Because if I don't take that authority of my life, if I don't recognize how important it is that I really gather all of my wants and my desires and I really gather all of the issues of my heart and I say the I am, all of me, totally, Father, totally, without reserve, without reservation, I, I am your servant. I am your servant. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes that I may know your testimonies. That's one of those many verses in Psalms 119. Those hundred and some verses. The I am surrenders. And that's what it means. I have to give up my freedom. I have to give up my desire. I have to give up the control of my life. I have to give up the throne of my life. 
John chapter 3, verse 30 says, He must become greater, I must become less. Very simple passage. Everybody can memorize that. I must be, he must become greater, I must become less. Now, how much simpler can it be stated than that? How much more directly can the Word of God come to us that instructs us that He must become greater? He must take authority. He must have the ability to control all aspects of my life, and I must become less. Now, doesn't that just go 100% contrary to the world? Isn't the world always saying, it's me for, more for me is better? That I must become the God of me? That, in fact, a lot of New Age religions says that I become a little God. That I continue to increase. I continue to get more. I continue to, to grow in wisdom and knowledge. And I become God. That's not true at all. That is so false. That is so untrue. He must become greater, and I must become less. And it's only when I realize that I must place Christ at the center point of my life. He must me at the center point. He must remain there, and I must revolve around Him. And when I revolve around Him, then He becomes the all in all, and I become less and less. That's freedom. That's freedom I'm talking about. That's the freedom that Jill was talking about when she said she was impressed with freedom. That is when we really then can begin to appreciate life in its fullness, when I understand that it's all about Jesus. It's all about his love. It's all about what he did for me and all that he wants to do, continue to do for me with all of the blessings that he has in store for me. Now Paul goes on in Timothy and he talks about that we're to fight the good fight in this life. Paul in this passage is, is just talking about the love of money and how we need to be content in living a godly life. Yet so many Christians or so-called Christians continue to fight for the things of this world that are so temporary and are so um, meaningless, really, that ultimately will burn. Everything that we see, touch, feel, taste, smell will burn besides what God has for us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 says this, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Wow. We're talking about freedom. So now where does this word fight come up? Why? Why does he say that we're to pursue righteousness and godliness and love and endurance and gentleness? And then the next verse, fight. Why does he use the word fight? Because that's what we have to do. We have to fight ourselves. We have to continue to fight our own desires, fight our own natural desire of, of wanting for ourselves, and that we're to take hold of the eternal things, the things that mean, the things that last not the things that are temporary. We're to pursue all the goodness of godly things and we're to fight the good fight to maintain the freedoms that we have. So if we're going to be free, the first thing we have to do is we have to give freedom to gain freedom. We have to be willing to give it up. To give it up for Christ without any reservation. Number two, once we have that, we have to choose to walk in freedom once we have it. 
or once it's offered. We must make the choice to continue to walk in the freedoms that God has for us. It takes a conscious effort on my part and that I must accept it. I must accept and move in the freedom that God, that Jesus has provided, that he provided by the sacrifice of the cross. Yes, he finished the work for me. He finished it. There is nothing more that has to happen for salvation. He finished it. He, he did it right there. But I have to surrender, as we just talked about, and then I need to aggressively accept and pursue the free gift or it will be wasted. I need to aggressively pursue it. How do you aggressively pursue something? It means you go after it with everything that you have. You don't take no for an answer. When you're praying for something, you don't let the devil come in and take your, your victory. You don't let him come in and take your freedom. You don't let him come in and say, no, God doesn't love you. No, he's not going to do that for you. you. You press in. You aggressively pursue. You aggressively hang in there. You do not give up. You must give up. Or you must hang in there and, be, and you must persevere and you must endure Last week we talked about working out our salvation. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work it out. Continue to live it out. We talked last week that, that working out our salvation is really living out our salvation. Our salvation is already completed. We're already saved. We're already going to heaven. That's already been done for us. Now we live it out on a daily basis in front of the whole world to see it. That is how we are choosing to walk in our freedoms. That we are walking out, we are living out our salvation. It's recognizing that we're free and that we're recognizing that our freedoms didn't come easily. They didn't come cheaply. They came at a very high cost. And we shouldn't treat them flippantly. We shouldn't treat them with, with little regard. We should honor them. We should respect the freedoms that we have. And we need to live out our freedoms as, as, just as though Christ were still walking with us today. Christ may not be physically with me. I can't see Jesus. I can't see the angels that are about me, but I know they're there. So just because I don't see Christ, that doesn't mean I live like Christ isn't here. I need to live my life as aggressively as if Jesus was physically walking with me every day. I need to make the choices that I would make just as if Jesus was with me every day. I cannot take the, I, I cannot take the, the opinion or the approach that I have some time here to waste, that I have some free time now that I can blow because I'm on my own time here, that I'm not being watched, I'm not being, I'm not being monitored. Believe me, folks, we will all be accountable for every moment that we have. And so, therefore, he says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out or live out your salvation. And I, then I like what Paul wrote to the Colossians. This really, um, in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 and so forth, this really has become um, probably the most important passage in my life. I, I have memorized this, and this has become my prayer every day. When I pray to the Lord every day, this is one of the prayers that I pray. And it says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That passage, in my opinion, wraps up the Christian life. That's it. 
If you, if that's the only one, if I could only memorize one, if I had one scripture to take, that's the one I would take. Because it says that every day that I'm constantly asking, I'm constantly asking that I would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not earthly wisdom, not my wisdom, but heavenly wisdom or spiritual wisdom, wisdom that comes from heaven, which is godly wisdom, which is wisdom that is knowledge of strength and character and good things. That's what I want in my life. I want to understand God's will according to spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why do I want that? So that I can fight the fight, that I can then walk in the freedoms that are offered to me. And I do that as I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Isn't that awesome that we walk in the that we can walk with the Lord in a manner of the Lord that is pleasing to him that's worthy wait I thought I wasn't worthy I thought that we as our in our human nature we're not worthy well we're not worthy when we don't have Christ but the moment that I have Christ in my life the moment that Jesus enters my life now I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and I can be pleasing to him the enemy would come in and say, no, you can't. The enemy would bring condemnation, and he would bring up all your past sins. He'd bring up all your failures. He'd bring up all your inconsistencies. And he would say, you're nothing, you're nobody, you're not worthy. But this passage says that I am. This passage says that when I am filled with the, with the knowledge of God's will, and I have his heavenly wisdom and understanding, then I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and I can please him. Now, I know that, that we've talked about this a lot in this, in this church, and I will always continue to talk about it because that's the importance of it all, but we all want to hear one person say something to us at some point in time in our life, and that is this, well done, thou good and faithful. We want to hear Jesus tell you and I personally, well done, Bob, well done, Dick, well done, Jason, well done, Steve, well done, well done. Put your name in there. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear the Lord say, well done. Now, how do you get that? How does that happen? That happens when you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him every day. That is walking, that is choosing to walk in the freedoms that we have. See, some would look at the freedoms that we have, that we can walk any way we want to walk and still expect God's blessing. But that's not, the, that's not what the Bible says, folks. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says walk in the freedoms and don't abuse those freedoms. Yes, you're free, free to do a lot of things, but understand that you're also free to take the consequences of a lot of things. The consequences will always follow the actions. So follow the path of least bad consequences. Make it real simple. Why follow the path that you know is going to give you heartache? Why follow the path that's know, that knows it's going to give you um, a, a regret? We sang about it already, about we don't want regrets. We have no time for regrets. Why follow a path that's going to give you a regret when we're free to choose a path that brings us godly freedom and godly blessing and godly peace and godly eternal rewards? That is what it's all about. It's all about we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him every day of the week. We don't have to say, oh, I have a bad day going right now, therefore I can't walk in a manner. Yes, you can. Even in your tough times, even when it's hard, even when you don't feel like it. See, this is when you have to take the I am of yourself 
and say, I am going to worship you. I am going to give up my life for you. I am going to give up my choice for your freedom. I am. That's what it takes to live out a life of walking in freedom. And then we're to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. Yes, we are to work. Yes, we are. Even when we're free to work and we're supposed to bear good fruit in that. And then we're to continue to increase in the knowledge of God. So walking in the freedoms of God really means that we are seeking His heavenly or spiritual wisdom so that we can walk in a way worthy and pleasing of the Lord and exercising our spiritual freedoms to please Him and not our own selfish agendas and fears or desires. Jackie, don't worry about that thunder. It's God just bowling, Jackie. Think of God just bowling. <laughs> as we learn to do this, as we learn to live this way, we will understand that godly freedom is a joy, not a burden. Godly freedom is a joy, not a burden. You know, I think that's where the devil really likes to play with us. He really likes to mess with our brain. He really likes to mess with our mind because he wants us to think that living for God is really a drag. It's really boring. It's really hard. But it's not, folks. Living for God is the easiest, most rewarding thing anybody can do. When we walk in the freedoms of Christ, when we understand what those freedoms are, and that we walk in with them daily, it is a, burden. It is a joy for us. It is not a burden. It is not at all. But there's a lot of false teaching that come. A lot of false teachers that want to come and, and will want to destroy that, that image or that, that thought. And we're warned by Timothy, or by Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy in a couple of different places, we're warned to watch out for those false teachings. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, which we are in, we are in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And then go down to verse 16 of that same chapter. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is talking to Timothy as his last, this is his last epistle to Timothy before he dies. And he is giving Paul, Timothy everything he can, trying to help Timothy understand what needs to happen in his life. So he's telling Timothy, watch out, be careful. Watch out for these doctrines. Make sure that you follow the ones that I'm giving you closely. Persevere in them. And when you do, you will save yourself and for those that are listening to you, or more importantly, those that are watching you. Because we all have people watching our lives. So be careful which doctrines you follow. Be careful which, which decisions and choices you decide to make. And then Hebrews tells us in, in chapter 10, verses 35 through 37, that Paul is encouraging us to hang in there. Don't give up. Don't throw away our confidence, but persevere for our freedom is guaranteed if we do. He says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. I, I hate that word, don't you? <laughs> I hate that word. It's such a hard word to say, first of all. And then secondly, I hate the meaning. It means you've got to hang in there. You've got to don't give up. Persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming 
will come and will not delay. Wow. He's promised, folks. He's given us a promise that if we persevere, if we hang in there, don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. What a promise that is. That's what we have to do when we have to live out our freedoms on a regular basis. So number three, the third point, freedom comes with great responsibility. Freedom comes with great responsibility. We can, we can abuse freedoms. We can abuse our freedoms in Christ. If everyone felt they were free to do whatever they wanted to do, whenever they did it without any rules, we would have anarchy and chaos in this world. Freedom doesn't mean we don't have rules. Freedom means that we're free to operate within the rules that we have with good consequences. I mean, imagine if you took all the stop signs away, all the, red, all the traffic lights away. Imagine what it would be like to drive. I mean, simple things like that. It, it would be worse than watching kids drive through driver's training. I mean, that's scary enough as it is. But if we didn't have rules, it would, be, it would not be good. Rules are not bad, folks. Boundaries are not bad. Boundaries don't mean that you don't operate in freedom. So many times we want to throw off the boundaries. We think that if we're going to be free, that we don't need to have boundaries, that we can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do them. I'm telling you, folks, freedom has great responsibility to live within the boundaries, to live within the rules for your own benefit and for those around you. Live within the boundaries that the Lord has set in place. He's given us some very good rules. He's given us some very good boundaries. When we can learn to live within those boundaries, that's truly living in freedom. It doesn't mean throw off the boundaries. That's anarchy. That's confusion. We live within our boundaries. Our freedom, then, is not all... Uh, our, understand, too, our freedom is understanding that I don't have the ability to decide if God is right or God is wrong. No matter how badly I decided I didn't want to die, no matter how badly I want to live forever, I am going to refuse to die. I don't care how hard I tried at living eternally on my own. The fact of the matter is, folks, I'm still going to die. I'm still going to come to the end of my life. I don't have the freedom, I don't have the ability to tell God that he's wrong. I don't have that choice. I don't have the, the, the power to tell God, go, no, God, I'm not going to go into eternity the way you want me to go into eternity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own. I'm going to make utopia on earth. I'm going to make it so good here that I don't have to die. You know, as much as I wanted to, I can't do that. I am going to serve somebody. I am going to serve either God or I'm going to serve Satan. That is the rules, folks. That's the way it's set up. Whether you like it or not, that's the way it's set up. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve the devil. Now, there may be other places, right, Barb? There may be other universes out there that don't have to worry about that choice. But we on this earth, we have to serve one or the other. We don't have a choice. So really, our freedom, the only freedom that we really have in this manner is who I'm going to determine who I serve. I will either serve God or I will serve myself. I will serve God or I will serve my selfish desires. 
That's the only freedoms that we have. Freedom comes with great responsibility. Joshua spoke to the Israelites regarding this, and, and, and let's see what he told Joshua told the Israelites in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He said, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your father worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So again, it's not an issue of are you, are you free not to serve? No, you're going to serve one or the other. So determine now who you want to serve. God gave mankind a free will to choose. He gave us an inherent freedom to worship who we want to worship, not if we want to worship something. We will worship something. Just understand that. We will. And this freedom that we have comes with great responsibility that we worship godly things. We worship the God of our life and the God of the universe and the God of, of, of heaven. Ezekiel talked about it in, in chapter 14. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, I'm skipping on to verse 6, Larry. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me, from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face, then goes to the prophet to inquire of me. I, the Lord, will answer him myself. Now, let me just say what he's saying here. If I decide, I set up my own idol in my heart. Now, what does that mean? We're not talking about a bronze figurine. We're talking about my desires, my fleshly desires. The things that I want to do become my personal idols. When I set those up in my heart and I decide to serve them, that puts up a wicked stumbling block before between me and God. And then if I do that and then go to the prophet or I go to inquire of the Lord, the Lord will answer me, and this is the answer that he'll give me in verse 8. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, when God doesn't answer my prayers when I'm not living for him, that doesn't mean that he's a mean God. And if God allows things to happen in my life that would try to get my attention when I'm knowingly not living for God, that doesn't mean that God's a mean God. What that means is God loves me so much and his justice is so pure that he has no choice but to help me get back on my feet to help me, to put stumbling blocks along my way that I cannot get places where I want to get on my own, that I have these stumbling blocks come that direct me back to God. Everything that he does, every, every answer that he gives that is contrary to what I want, that is really better for me, it's all in his effort to recapture me, to give me back the freedoms that I once had if I choose to walk away from him. Verse 5 of that says, I will do all of this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. God's purpose is not to harm me. 
God's purpose is not to hurt me. God's purpose is to recapture me. It's to reach back out and say, come on, Mike, I love you so much. I want you to come in my fold. I want you to come where I'm at. I will, therefore, I allow some certain, certain things to happen to maybe get your attention, maybe to wake you up to say that I love you, but never to hurt you. God doesn't do anything to hurt us. It's always for our benefit. And when we can learn that serving God is better than fighting God, we will have peace in our hearts and in our lives. Why would, we, why would we want to fight a God that we can't win against? Why would we want to? Let's just, get it, let's just make it real simple and real basic. Just like he says that he must increase and I must decrease, let's go to the basics. Why would I want to fight, a God, fight against a God that I know I can't win against? It doesn't make it burdensome. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 29, proves that. Come to me, God says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burdens light. And then Romans chapter 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? We sang it this morning. If God's for us, what can be or who can be against us? He who, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's the God we serve. That's living in freedom. That is choosing to live in freedom. That is understanding the responsibilities that we have in freedom. And then it goes on. I've got to read some good verses here because these are some good ones. Romans chapter 8, 37 and 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers to height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty powerful God that keeps me from all those things. Nothing can separate me from the, from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing, no evil, nothing, no, no presence, nothing. And then 1 John, 1, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, For you, dear children, are from God and have, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When we live in godly freedom, nothing will come against us that will hurt us. Nothing will come against us to destroy us. So as we conclude this morning, Jackie, if you would come. Those that are facing opposition and, and trouble, because we will, we are, I know that, I'm not ignorant of that fact. We all have problems, don't we? Yet, we all love Christ. I can love Jesus with all my heart and still have a problem. That doesn't take away my love for Christ. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom, no matter what I'm going through. No matter what issues I'm facing today, I have the promise that the Lord is with me. He is my God. He is my King. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. He is my Protector. He is my Provider. He's the one that gives me all blessing as I continue to walk in the freedom that He has. So I don't know about you this morning. I don't know what kind of problems you're going through today. I don't know what kind of stresses that may be a, a coming against you today. But I want to encourage you this morning to exercise the freedoms that you have in Christ, to 
to ask Him to help you. You're so free, you don't have to ask. You don't have to ask. Like I said earlier, He knows, but He's not going to act on just what He knows. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So if you have a need, if you have a problem, if you have a situation, if you're struggling and living in the freedoms that we have in Christ, then ask Him to help you. Ask Him. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. What does it mean to stand firm? It means to fight. It means don't give in. It means to persevere. It means don't let anybody push you around. You know who you are. You know who you are in Christ. And here's the other thing. The devil knows who you are too. He knows who you are. He knows he can only push you so far as long as you stand firm. As long as you say, no, devil, I know who I am. I know who I am. Stand firm and understand that the devil has no authority in your life. Amen? Amen. Close your eyes with me if you would. In Jesus' name. Father, we just come before you and we just ask you, Father, Lord, that you would just make it known to us. Lord, help us understand what true freedom is. Lord, we use that word so often and and we live in a free country, and freedom comes so easy to us in so many ways. But, Lord, help us to really understand and grasp the concept of living freely in Christ. Lord, I pray right now for those that are here this morning that are struggling with this freedom, struggling with some issues in their life, struggling in some areas that maybe they're not walking in freedom. Maybe they're walking in bondage. Maybe they have some habits or, or some some strongholds in their life that they just can't break. Lord, your word says that we have freedom in Christ. That we ask and you give according to your will. And Father, your will would not be that we would have bondages. Your will would not be that we have strongholds. So, Lord, I just ask right now in Jesus' name that for all those that are struggling, all of us that are struggling in different areas with our life, where we maybe aren't able to say the I am of me gives it all. Lord, I pray that we could break through in those areas and understand what we're living, what we're leaving behind, what we're missing when we can't say that. This morning, if you have one of those strongholds, if you have a bondage in your life that you need help breaking through, this is not anything to do with your being a saved person or your, your Christianity. This has living in the freedoms of being in Christ. If you have a bondage, if you have a stronghold that you want to break, that you need help breaking, this morning, would you just lift your hand to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, help me in that stronghold. Help me in that bondage. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. Yes, I, I see those hands. There's many hands going up. And that's the way it should be because we all have those bondages. We all have those strongholds. And as we ask Christ, as we ask him to break that area in our life, then now learn to walk in the freedoms that he gives us. When you see a breakthrough coming, don't step back from it. Don't be afraid to press in and receive all he has for you in that. 
but just learn to walk in the freedoms that we have because he wants to break every fetter. He wants to break every stronghold. He wants you and me to live freely, joyfully. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He wants that in our life. So, Father, I just thank you for every hand that was raised this morning. Lord, I thank you for the honesty of the, of the people in this, in this place today, for everyone that's listening, for the, for the honesty that we have to recognize that we have strongholds. And, Lord, that doesn't mean I'm a weak person. It means that I need help. It means that I, I am needing help. And the I am of me is crying out to you to say, help me in this, Lord. Help me break the bondages. I pray. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name now that you would do your work, Holy Spirit. We give you the freedom to work. We give you the freedom to work in our midst. We give you the freedom to work in our lives. We give you the freedom to work in our church. Lord, we give you the freedom to bring those in in this church that we would be able to help set others free. Keep us free in this church, I pray. I thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And as we go to our homes today, Father, I just thank you for that. I, Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to set us free as we celebrate this holiday weekend freely in our spirit. Bless us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to pray this morning, I will be at the altar. If you want to pray, and if you want to press through in a little bit, I'd be more than happy to pray with you. Have a blessed day. Enjoy the holiday. Live freely in Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. Freedom reigns in this place.
Shine.